welcome to the Soar Community Network podcast with your host, Malie Ponpadit. Here, inside our community, we help each other see, own, articulate, and release our unique message and mission into the world. Uncover your gifts and talents, release your passions, own your purpose, and let's soar together. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the SOAR Community Network podcast. I am your host, Mali Ponpadit, and today we have Rocky Romanella. Uh, Rocky was born in New York City and raised in New Jersey in an Italian family. He began a 36-year career with UPS in 1976 as a part-time loader and unloader. And from there, Romanella climbed the ranks to become the president and general manager of UPS Supply Chain Solutions. After retiring from the largest transportation and logistics company in the world, Romanello went on to serve as Chief Executive Officer and Director of Unitech Global Services, a mid-cap telecommunications solutions company. His experience in operational management, business integration, telecommunications, franchise development, supply chains, and leadership development led to founding 360 Management Services, LLC. Utilizing over 40 years of experience, Romanella embarked on writing Titan the Lugnuts, The Principles of Balanced Leadership, which explores the ways a true leader can add value as a trusted advisor, mentor, and visionary who uses a process approach to lead the organization and its people to new levels of success. Thank you so much, Rocky, for joining us today. Emily, thank you very much, and thank you for that wonderful introduction. Oh, wow. It was a mouthful. There was a lot to say there. Um, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> I guess it just means I'm old, right? <laughs> no, it just means you're very, very well experienced, and that's what we love. We love having guests who have been on a journey of their own, who have so much knowledge and expertise to share. So we really appreciate your time, and I know that you're traveling, and you're sitting somewhere uh, in an airport right now in one of the lounges. So thank you again for uh, continuing to dial in and be with us. <laughs> well, it's my pleasure. And uh, as you know, uh, traveling is just a, a, a part of the routine. So you get used to it and you get, you get pretty good at it after a while. Yes. Well, I want to actually uh, change up a little bit the line of questioning because I know we want to definitely talk about, about this book that you've written and all the um, great knowledge that you have to impart. Uh, but first and foremost, I'd love for you to talk about your uh, personal journey. Um, you know, growing up in New York from an Italian family and really moving into the ranks of becoming one day a CEO, did you ever? imagine that? Did you know that that was planted somewhere inside of you? Uh, were you surprised, uh, you know, looking back now as a young child and in your adult life, how much you've accomplished? Well, no, it was never the vision to be a CEO or, or to be in a leadership role like that. I mean, my view, I went to college originally to be a high school history teacher and a baseball coach. And, oh, yeah. you know, I thought that was, uh, I, I love teaching and I always believe that teaching is such an, a, a wonderful career and, and they touch so many people. And I, I love the concept of teaching and being a teacher and I love baseball and always wanted to be a baseball coach. I, I started my career, as you said, uh, in 1976, uh, a part-timer at UPS. And 
about a year into it, I realized that, you know, if you're really a, a, an excellent leader or manager, you really are a teacher and teaching is such an important part of that. So I changed my major to business and pursued the business side with always the teaching and sort of the background and sort of like the core competency I believed, you know, you had, if you could, you really can motivate people to get those light bulbs to go off. So, uh, it started out with a simple aspiration and UPS had a promotion from within policy that I, I uh, took advantage of and uh, was fortunate that I could move my way through the organization. And and one other thing I think was so important for me growing up, and, it, and I talk a lot about it in my book, Tighten the Lug Nuts, and that was my dad. Uh, my dad has since passed, but was such an influential person in my life. And when I got my job at UPS, he told me two things that stuck with me throughout my career and to this day. And the first thing he said to me is, whatever they ask you to do, say yes and thank you. And so as I was getting, you know, moving around the country with UPS and promotions, opportunities were presented to me. All I could think of was my dad saying, say yes and say thank you. So there were times they came to me, we purchased mailboxes, et cetera, as an acquisition UPS. And then they came to me and said, we, we want you to learn this business and, and, you know, someday run this on behalf of UPS, working with the franchise or and uh, I looked at them and I kind of had that look on my face like, are you sure you got the right guy you want to do this with? And they just looked at me and they said, no, we think you're, this is the right opportunity for you and you can grow and develop here and you can be, make an impact. And all I could think of was my dad saying, well, say yes and say thank you. So I said, okay, I can do this. As long as you're willing to work with me, <laughs> yes, and then thank you. And then the second thing he told me that always stuck with me was learn your job and then learn some more. And so the day you think you know everything, the day you think you've accomplished something very special is the day you're probably starting to lose ground. So learn your job, learn some more, you know, stay humble, and always always have that thirst and quest for learning. And so you know, he, those two things always stuck with me, those two thoughts that he gave me. And I, I believe they, they became the, the kind of blueprint of, of my career. And then the second most, well, another person with great influence on my life is my wife, Debbie. And, uh, you know, I think when you read the book, you, there's so much of the book is her as, as the second most influential person in my life. So she was the influence in my adult life. And my dad was really the influence in my childhood growing up and building those foundations of hard work, enthusiasm, you know, your ethics, your culture who you are as an individual. So I was really fortunate uh, to be mentored by two wonderful people, my dad and my wife. Mm, thank you for sharing that. What a personal uh, journey to be very proud of as well. You know, having great support system at home is a critical, I think, to just the mindset that one must have when you're in such a high position or role because you have to have that level of confidence and support at home in order to lead so many people, which leads me to my next question. You've been the uh, CEO and the president um, as well as direct, you know, director at both the UPS Supply Chain Solutions as well as Unitech Global Services. What does it take to lead people as a CEO? Like what, are, what have been some of the lessons that you've learned about influencing people, getting things done? Um, what does it take in terms of your characteristics, your skill sets to make it possible to lead so many people? I think there's a couple very uh, important core competencies that you have to have. And then I think there are a couple very key attributes that you have to have. For me, the attributes are, you know, don't take yourself too serious. 
uh, make sure you realize it's not about you. It's about them. It's about your people. It's about the company. It's about your customers. I think too often leaders make it about themselves. You know how how often do you hear about a person telling you they were at a meeting and their and their boss or their leader was saying things like, "Hey, you don't realize how difficult this job is. You don't know how much pressure I'm under." Well, you know what? That's making it about you. It's not about you. It's about your people. So don't make it about yourself. Make it about your people. Make it about your company. Make it about your customers. You're secondary, right? You're the facilitator of all those things. I used to always say the for me, CEO stood for Chief Enthusiasm Officer. Oh, now you have to, you have to be that. that. Per- yeah, you have to be the person that you know that that keeps people positive, gives them the vision, creates that sense of purpose, uh, gives your people the sense that they're they're not the problem, they're the solution, and they feel good about working in your company. I think that's so important. And I think the last thing for me was always don't let your highs get too highs and your lows get too lows, right? Because you're you're going to have those ebbs and flows, and you know you, you don't want to be sitting there on a day when things go really well, you're you know high five in and you're you know you're kind of spiking the football. It's like you're going to have a tough day too, and don't let your lows get too lows that you become that person that walks around with that scowl on your face and you know has that you know depressed look on his face because your people see everything you do and they feed off of you so it's good to, it's good to stay right in that kind of you know don't get don't get too high don't get too low you know you 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 steer the ship and that ability to, to control your emotions and to, and to allow people to feed off your positive emotions, I think, goes a long way. And then I think when it comes to the, you know, sort of the leadership traits, I think you have to be a good communicator. That's so important in today's world. You have to be a good communicator. I think you have to be a job skills developer, someone who cares about developing their people, has programs and processes in place that their people see that you value them and you value the fact that they can play a bigger role inside your organization. Uh, and, and also that you can develop your own people that, that are in your care, your direct supervision. I think that you have to be a customer customer-focused individual, uh, whether it's a internal customers, the people who are in your care as the CEO or leader, as well as your external customers. And the last for me was always about accountability. Do you hold yourself accountable and do you hold your people accountable? I would always, for me, uh, you can tell leadership and ownership by the fact that you know, I hold myself more accountable than anybody else will ever will. I'm harder on myself than anybody I ever worked for. And so I think that when you when you take that self-accountability like that, your people see that and then they, they begin to hold themselves accountable. And then you're, you're the guy handing out the lifesaver then. It's, you, you no longer have to be the master of the obvious. Hey, that wasn't good. We didn't achieve the results we needed. It's the opposite. It's okay. We're going to get there. Keep doing, you know, keep doing the things you're doing. What help do you need from me? You know, you you change from being the person who's pointing out mistakes to being the person that's helping them develop new ways to do things and inspiring them to come up with a solution. So I would think those are the those were those are some of the core you know, competencies as well as some of the attributes. Let me ask you this. You mentioned something that I, I loved hearing. You know, don't let your highs get too high and your lows get too low. And what I'd love to ask is how does one do that? I mean, from a very tactical, pragmatic um, uh, place, you know, you personally, when you are going through stressful times, when you know you get up in the morning, you know there's a lot to do that day, or maybe there's a high stress uh, experience going on or a problem that the team has to solve. Um, how do you kind of reset? How do you do that um, from a personal standpoint, emotional, mental standpoint? 
I think there's a couple things. One is you mentioned it early in in our conversation, and that's a, a great family unit. I could always you know, sit and talk to Deb and we could have those kind of conversations where I'd say, Hey hon, well, you know, think about this. I mean, how does this sound? I mean, do you think that we're going in the right direction or, or, you know, because she can always be the voice of reason, not being emotionally involved. And, and so that w- I always felt was helpful. And that could be one area I would go to. And I think the second area is, is, is you need those trusted individuals inside of your organization where you can kind of close the door and say, does this sound logical or does this sound right? to you. I had an individual when I was at Unitech, we went through some difficult times there. And I had an individual who I could pick up the phone and call. And he wasn't one of my direct reports. It was a, a person, you know, we had used for, had come in and done some consulting work for us. But I really be, be, developed a relationship with him that really was one where I could say, hey, does this sound right, Dick? I mean, this doesn't sound, I mean, I feel like I'm saying the right things. I feel like we're going in the right direction. And so he could always be that double check of saying, well, look, I know you believe that you know, this is the right view, this is where you want to take the organization, or these are the things you need to be working on, but I'm not sure. But but I'm not sure that people are receiving it that way. So for me, it was always the ability to have someone inside the organization or someone inside of the, you know, kind of the business sphere that I could have those frank conversations with and be vulnerable and have those kind of conversations. And it can't be obviously inclusive to a lot of people, but it has to be a couple key people that you have trust and confidence in, and they're going to tell you the truth and they're not going to sugarcoat anything. And I think outside of the business, that's always a great double check, right? Is there a logic set check here, right? Does this sound reasonable? I mean, and, and for someone who's not involved in that business or involved in a day-to-day, sometimes they give you the greatest, you know, they give you the greatest sense of, aha, uh-huh, of, well, wait a second, that, that doesn't seem logical. It doesn't seem right because you get your, you get so involved in fixing a problem or so involved in the current situation that you lose perspective sometimes or you, or you lose clarity. So for me, those were the two. It's inside and outside the business side that, that helped me keep clarity. Mm-hmm. And so let me ask you then, when you're going through this journey, you've been working as the CEO, top leadership role in these organizations. What made you decide then to start your own? And when you were founding 360 Management Services, you know what were some of the challenges that you were forced to confront what types of skills, additional skills, did you need to improve upon um, as you decided to launch your own business? Uh, well, for, for me, it's all about legacy. And I talk a lot about that in the book, Tighten the Lug Nuts. For, and for me, legacy is did you leave it a little better place than you found it? Are people better because of their time with you? Are, their cust- are your customers better because of their engagements or interactions with you? And are the shareholders or stakeholders that you work with Do they feel more confident because their business is with you? And for me, that's all about legacy. And I felt like, you know, once we had a sale at Unitech and I moved on from there, for me, this 360 was an opportunity to work with some people that I had worked with in the past that I had great faith and confidence in. We had the same values and ethics and, you know, uh, and culture. And I, I felt like if there was an opportunity for me to 
you know, leave a little bit more of that legacy through the public speaking or keynote speaking part of our business or through the leadership training part of our business. To me, that was wonderful. I could still get those aha moments. I could still get light bulbs going off people's heads by talking to them or training and doing the training and development. So it was a continuation of that legacy concept of where I could make a positive impact on individuals through the training and through the keynote speaking potentially in businesses, as well as on our consulting side, if we can make a difference in a, in, a, in a small business by helping them with process or process improvements and ways to improve their business, that would be that would be wonderful, and that would be kind of a continuation of that of that legacy. And frankly, I found out following my wife around, uh, the food store wasn't such a good idea. So I, she said to me, I think you need to start doing something else. You got way too much energy and enthusiasm. So I said, okay, time for a business, I guess. <laughs> well, let me then ask you, what are you most proud of now that you have this business and, and where you stand today when you think about building your, your legacy-driven uh, business? What are you most proud of? Well, I, th I think the thing I'm the most proud of is that you know through these 10 moves or so moves across the country with UPS and some of the other endeavors that, uh, you know, it, 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 I look back, at, I look at my family and the wonderful job that Debbie, uh, you know, did raising our children. It, to me, that's what I'm most proud of because that was always the concern as you moved, right? That, you know, we moved four kids across the country at different times in their lives. And and I look at my, my children today and I'm so proud of them. And to me, they're, they're, they treat each other with dignity and respect. They get along well. Look, they have their moments. They have their disagreements. But, you know, my dad just always say, you can disagree but not be disagreeable. And that was always kind of the rule in our house as well. And I felt like it's just wonderful to see them all get along together and see how they all support each other. And for me, that's the proudest because that could have been the what I never wanted to happen was ever my family be the casualty of my moves or the casualty of my career. In fact, I want, always wanted it to be the opposite, you know, show them the right way to do things, you know, teach them through hard work, enthusiasm, to stay humble. And for me, the fact that I have, you know, four wonderful children that are doing well, three of them are married, you got two great grandkids on the uh, here today. Uh, it's just a wonderful feeling. So that's what I'm the most proud of, because that could have been a casualty of all the moves. Wow. Well, you know, uh, Rocky, we did not plan this, but, you know, the SOAR Community Network, we host our uh, annual summit uh, each year, and it's all about developing the legacy-driven leader. So we want to develop our leaders, our corporate executives, our civic leaders uh, around the world to really focus on uh, what their legacy is and how do they drive their legacy today through the work that they do. So in, in, in other words, we're developing um, many U's. <laughs> oh, well, well, I'd be flattered. I would, and I'd love to come and talk at your group if if, if an opportunity existed. Because to me, that's what I think is so important. You know, what's your legacy? Do you leave it a little better place than you found it? I, I, I'm sure we may not have time today, but I've got a, a great story I could tell you that uh, that, that to me kind of summarizes legacy in such a profound way. But I'm not sure we'll have enough time today to do that. Yeah, no, go ahead and go for it because this is so important. And and we, you know, we'll reach out to you this year's. Um, speaker pool is full, but we definitely plan on doing this again and again and again, and I definitely would like to consider you. But please share with us this story, because I think it's important for our audience. 
So, uh, so the tradition at UPS is that you, at your 25-year mark, you, you can get a 25-year watch or 30-year or you could get another watch and those kind of things for your years of service. But my dad, rest his soul, worked for a tool and die company in uh, Manhattan for over 45 years. And on his last day of work, I remember he came home and I said, Dad, I think today's your last day of work. How did it go? Did they give you a... You know, they give you a, a luncheon or any kind of plaque or anything. He goes, no, 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 no. But you know, everybody said goodbye. He goes, I was just so happy to have a job when I came from Italy, and they, you know, we, we were able to provide for the family. And he was so happy that he that he found this opportunity and, and worked his way through it. But it always bothered me that they never did anything for him. So on my 25 year anniversary at UPS, I got my UPS watch and I presented it to my dad at Thanksgiving. I said, you know, Dad. I never would have gotten this watch without you, so I'd like to present you with my 25-year watch. And he wore that watch every day. In fact, through chemo and through radiation, the doctors would say, hey, you have to take your watch off. No, no, this watch stays on. This watch doesn't go off. Well, his, five years later, he was struggling. I got my 30-year watch, and so I presented him. I said, Dad, I'm so happy you're here and that you, you know, you've really fought this thing. Uh, and I, here's my 30 year watch. And so, you know, he was all excited and he gave my son Rocky on his high school graduation, the 25 year watch. Mm. And so he, that was the tradition. He, and then when he, he passed away a year later and the watch went, the 30 year watch that he wore went to my son, Andrew. And so my, both my boys are wearing my father, the watch my father wore the 25 year watch and then the 30 year watch. Well, just when you thought the story was a great story, it gets even better. So Rocky was, uh, my son Rocky was uh, coaching a, a hockey team, was just a hockey coach up at St. Michael's College in Vermont, and he's up there for a few years. And so he got married last year, and unbeknownst to us, the day of the wedding, you know, his wife Jen, who's just a wonderful daughter, I couldn't have picked a better daughter-in-law, he couldn't have created a better daughter-in-law, but so Jen and Rocky exchanged gifts, and so it was this whole big ceremony that they did privately, and Debbie says to Rocky the next day, I don't understand what was the gift and, you know, how come it was so secretive? And so Rocky shows Debbie the watch. So, so Debbie says, well, that's the watch your grandpa gave you. He said, no, Ma, I never told you. When I was up at St. Michael's College, I, I, I misplaced the watch. I couldn't find it. It was during a move. And for two years, I was beside myself. And I couldn't, you know, I just felt like I had this cloud over me. And so, so Jen, my daughter-in-law today, called UPS and then without telling Rocky, Spent a year and a half rebuilding the watch, called the company that built the original watch. The logo had changed and spent a year and a half rebuilding the watch and built the watch to look exactly like the watch that my father had worn. Before the wedding, calls my son, Andrew, and says, hey, can you meet me at the cemetery? I'd like you to introduce me to Grandpa because I never met him, but I want to make sure Grandpa's okay with Rocky having a new watch. Oh, my gosh. Now, is that a great story? Now, that's all done without any prompting by any of us. You know, to me, that's legacy. That's that's that those simple acts of kindness that make a difference in people's lives. And and it, you know, my dad used to always say, "It's what you do when no one's watching that counts." Think about what she did. Took the time to call UPS, call Robbins. I think the company was Robbins who who made you know those those kinds of things for for years of service and those things. Built it exactly with the old UPS logo. To me, that's amazing, and that's what legacy is all about. There's actually we actually have a YouTube video on it. Uh, I use it as part of some of the speaking promo stuff. But I was so proud of them. Debbie and I cried for for days. I mean, it's like yeah. when you listen to the story. But that's legacy. It's 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 moving on. That it's moving those traditions forward in your own way. At, at your you know, and, and I think it's that 
it, it speaks to who you are and what you stand for and, and, and what's important. So I, I think that to me is what legacy is all about. Thank you for sharing that. I had tears rolling down my cheeks here, you know, remembering and honoring my own father who also battled cancer and really just the lessons that they teach us, you know, to be the person that we are today and to pay it forward to your grandchildren, your great, great grandchildren. Um, you know, they're going to be carrying all these uh, little pieces of lessons that we impart throughout our lives and it lasts for a long, long time. So, you know, the legacy piece is, it's not just about like what's written about us or said about us after we're not here anymore on this physical plane, it's lasting, it's infinite. Oh, well, and the beauty, Malia, if you think about it, right, if you think about your dad, I'm sure, and my dad, they never did it with any thought, oh, oh this is going to be a legacy. Oh, someday this will happen. No, they were so genuine as, yes. as human beings, right? That's the difference. And that's what I think is what makes great leaders. You have to be genuine. You have to be who you are, right? You have to, you know, being a good person is because you are a good person, right? You you have those simple acts of kindness. It's, it's the simple hellos and goodbyes. Hey, thanks for doing a great job. It's it's walking the floor, smiling at people and letting them know that you care. I, you know, I used to always say, I had an opportunity once to potentially be on Undercover Boss. And not that I would ever, not that I don't like the show or have anything bad to say about the show. I could never be an undercover boss. It would break my heart that no one would know who I was. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I want to be the guy from Cheers. Everybody knows your name, you know? <laughs> and even though these were large organizations, and, it, and it's probably not, you know, one of my responsibilities at UPS, we had over 70,000 employees in a region I ran. But yeah, did everybody know me? No, but they felt like they did because when I was there, I would walk the building. I would shake the hands with the mechanics. I would go talk to people. That to me is what being a genuine leader is all about. It's 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 not thinking you're so important that you can't go out and shake the hand of a mechanic and get your hands dirty. No, it's it, each of us. There's no easy jobs in any company, and there's no more important job than that frontline person who's interacting with your customer. They have the most important job in your organization. They're your brand. They represent your brand more than you do as a CEO. Now, can I share something with you? And we, I promise we'll get to your book. <laughs> oh, sure. I, I wanted to share something. You know, when you were talking about leadership and, and every day waking up, going to work and shaking everybody's hand, you know, I came here with my family as a child refugee of war. My father um, actually found work here as a janitor um, because of the English barrier. And he was highly educated, but here he was a janitor at a car dealership for all those years, every single year, actually, since, uh, until he passed away. And, you know, he was a true leader. Like, he shook everybody's hand. He was very, he took pride in the fact that he had a job. He was raising his children with that job, with that income. He put us all through college. I mean, just incredible. And what what you said now, it's just, it's not about your title. It's about who you are every day. You know, it's about how you approach the world. Are you a leader? Are you inspiring people? My father inspired that whole dealership because they looked at him and they're like, how is he making this happen as a janitor? He is a leader. He didn't have a CEO title, but he was a, he was the chief enthusiast, uh, enthusiastic officer of his life. That's right. Your family. That's exactly right. Well, yeah. that's the difference, right? It's you know, I always tell people, Mike, I have the greatest title of all time right now. Grandpa. That to me is the greatest <laughs> title. So, I mean, no, I, I think that's that's. And you know what? The fact that you can have those conversations and think about him that way is honoring him. I mean, he he's 
he's looking down now so proud of you because you're doing those things you're living the values you know you're representing the family and that, and that to me was what was so important i'm sure to your dad and my dad is that we never lost sight of you know it's a family you know be good people good be the kind of person that people want to interact with you know i got the greatest compliment that i received in my in my business career from our former ceo when I was leaving UPS retiring and he said to me, you know, we're no rock. I can't think of anybody who's ever said they would never work for you again. Now that doesn't mean that every day was a good day. It doesn't mean that people always agreed with me. It didn't mean I didn't have to make tough decisions, but the fact that, because you and I both know people that you, you, we think and we say, oh, I'd never work for that person again. I yes. hope I never have to work for them. <laughs> but the fact that people would, would think that way about you to me was a, a great compliment, far greater than, oh, you know, you made it to a president level or you ran one of our biggest units or you integrated all these companies for us, thank you. No, the fact that people would think enough of you that they would want to work with you again, to me, speaks volumes about a leader. And that's what I think is so important. I used to always say to people, hey, when you're in a mall, do people ever come up to you and say to, hello to you that you've never, you know, before you see them? I remember one guy saying to me, no, no, why? Why is that so important? Because think about it. If you're a good person and somebody sees you in the mall and you don't see them and they come up to you, that means they want to interact with you. If you find out later on that there was someone in a mall that didn't come up and say hello to you, it's probably because they didn't want to talk to you. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> Think about it that way. How's that? That's right. Wow. Well, thank you for um, having such a candid conversation. That's what I love about doing this podcast. We never know where the conversation will flow to. So thank you for uh, being with me on this journey of sharing. Um, I want to talk now about your uh, your book because one thing that's very interesting is that your the book follows a story of um, a fictional character, uh, Joe Joe Scaffone. Um, and you know I'm interested because, and I'm sure a lot of uh, your audience members have asked, you know, what did you intend? to communicate with your readers readers and your audience by using a fictional character, knowing to narrate this nonfiction book, all these lessons are about real life lessons. Well, people who know me, you know, just smile when, when, when I tell them I wrote a book and the first thing they say is, hey, is Joe in the book, right? Because knowing me is to know that I never liked that feeling of saying, we're sitting in a meeting and you brought forth an idea. And I never liked that feeling of saying, hey, I think I would have done it differently or maybe you should look at it differently. I always felt like it sort of put up a barrier. So at meetings or you know, over the over the life of my career, what happened was uh, this fictional character, Joe Scaffone, you know, started to have, you know, breathe life into him by saying, hey, you know what, what would Joe do? You think Joe Scaffone would think that's a good idea? And we would all smile and laugh. And it was a, a way for me to challenge them to maybe not stop at the first right answer. I think sometimes that's what happens in business and leadership is you stop at that first right answer. Well, how do you push through that first right answer? It's not that that first answer wasn't right, but what? maybe there's something a little bit better, deeper, wider behind that first right answer. So Joe Scafone allowed me that opportunity not to be preachy or not to be judgmental, but allowed me to ask those questions and push through that first right answer. And so it, it got to be this, hey, Joe Scafone, hey, what would Joe do? And it's funny, as time went on and people really spent time with me, they would come to a meeting and say, hey, you know, I already covered this with Joe. He thinks it's a good idea. <laughs> and I was funny. like, okay, all right, well, let, well, let me listen to it. And I, I'm sure it's a good idea if Joe likes it. So th that's the reason why I never felt like I, I, 
I didn't like, I never liked talking in the first person. So I felt like this gave me the opportunity not to speak in the first person and then to use the lessons, not in a preachy way, but in a way that kind of prompted you to have that aha moment, like, ah, huh, okay, that's, that makes some sense. Or, or maybe I can try it that way. Or, you know, or if he didn't agree, you could always say, I, mean, I think Joe might be off on this. Okay, well, let's talk about it. So that's, that's why I, I wrote it in that terms, because it was more similar to me. It felt like me and it felt more like a, a way for me to convey my, my thoughts and visions and the lessons. Mm, that's a very cool approach. Well, I know we touched upon this a little bit, but where did you draw your inspiration to write the book, Tighten the Lutnugs, The Principles of Balanced Leadership? Well, the first was from my dad, as we spoke before, and he's such an influential part of my childhood. But my wife was such an influential, it did be such an influence on my adult life. And, and some of the things that I watched and, and, and saw her do as a mom, as a parent, or just, you know, just, just brilliant is the only way I, word I could use. I'll give a quick example. Where we got to dinner one night with a couple we had just met, and you know we're talking about our moves, and and you know the woman says to Deb, "Hey, so which one of the four kids thinks they're the favorite?" And so Debbie smiles and goes, "They're all the favorite." She goes, "No, come on, one of one of those four kids has to be your favorite." She goes, "No, no, no, they're all they all think they're the favorite." And the, the woman just kind of stopped and looked at her and said, "I don't understand. What do you mean they all think they're the favorite?" She says, "Each one of them gets what they need." when they need it. And to me, that was brilliant. And I thought about that. And that's really how you run your business, right? Each person gets what they need when they need it. So think about managing a large, complex organization. You have a director of sales, you have a, a finance manager, you have, you know, operations people, you might, you may, you know, you, you have other functions in there. And your CFO may be a highly skilled CFO who need, just needs conversations and talk withs and you know support. Where you may have a new director of sales that's brand new and needs more of your time and attention. And during the course of the year, each of them gets what they need when they need it. So for me, that was a brilliant thought. That was a brilliant concept. Uh, it, it and and I said to her, Deb, I'm using that. I mean, I got to start managing my business that way. That that everybody gets what they need when they need it. So those are some of the influential things she had or she did or, or she impacted me with as I watched her and, and spent time with her. So she's such a great influence. And, you know, she believes, you know, oh, I have no business sense at all, whatever. Are you kidding me? You're, you're probably the smartest person I know. <laughs> well, she's, she must be a really proud mom and a, a, a really proud wife because you have done so much. And just hearing you talk about your family and the love that you have for them and legacy, it's, it's very moving. And, um, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. Now, I want to ask you, because you're a respected business executive, you are CEO, you're a keynote speaker, senior partner, and now an author. How would you describe the overall experience of writing and publishing this book? What was that process? is like for you, um, you know, and would you recommend others do this, right, you know, write and share their journey? Well, the first thing is it's very scary, right? Because you sit and stare at a piece of paper and you wonder, is anybody going to read this and do I have enough to write a book? You know, so you get through that first, you kind of have to have that breakthrough of getting through all that. I, I, I took it as a labor of love. I enjoyed, I enjoyed doing it uh, because uh, it was really a kind of a family kind of event. And I was writing some chapters uh, and we came home one night, Debbie and I, and, and our kids were sitting there in the basement and they had a flip chart up and Debbie says, what are you guys doing? And I remember now you, you, you got four kids and uh, four, three spouses and a significant other. So you got eight, eight of them around this board and they're like, we're well, having a focus group on dad's first couple chapters. Oh, <laughs> so wow. 
So we had a good time with it. And so I, I thought that was great that they participated and they got involved. But but I, I didn't I didn't set a time limit of, oh, you know, I knew it couldn't take years. I tried to get it done within six year, months to a year and ended up being just short of a year. But I think that um, for me, it was uh, the opportunity to kind of say thank you to some some key people like my dad and and, and my wife, and also kind of put down some lessons and some things I learned, and maybe a, in a respectful way, you know, thank some of the mentors and people along the way, and some of the thoughts I had along the way. So from that, it was it was sort of like a summary of of a wonderful career and, and opportunities that were given to me, and some opportunities that maybe I could present other people and the way they do things, look at things, and maybe uh, you know the way they go about their their daily routine. So for me, that was great. I I would recommend. Uh, it's it's a wonderful experience, right? It, to me, it, it's it's it, it gives you a lot of those moments where you you take inventory of places you've been or people you've met or or situations that you were in that you learned a lot more than you realized that you learned. And so, from that perspective, it's a wonderful uh, inventory. I would say the scary the two scariest parts for me were starting, and then I'm self-published. So it's that process of finding the right editor. And the self-publishing piece, right? Because you never, you know, your biggest fear is that a, do I have enough to write? And b, is it grammatically correct? I mean, what you don't want is, you know, someone calling you up saying, hey, you know, there's misspellings all over this book, or you got dangling parser symbols everywhere, you know. So you're always, you know, because you're the concept person, right? You're sitting there with a vision, a thought that you that you're putting down on paper. But you do need someone that can help you with that. So I was fortunate to find a very good editor, and the publishing company I work with, from a self-publishing point of view, was very, very good. So I, so I was very, so that all worked out well. But I, that was a scary part for me because, you know, once it's kind of like hitting that send on an email. Once it's sent, it's hard to pull back. Same thing. Once you publish the book, you'd hate for people to call you up and say. Hey, I found grammatical errors or spelling errors all over the place. So, mm-hmm. you know, that that's more of a functional scariness, but you, you, that goes through your mind too, because it's a representation of you and the product that you put out there, and you want it to be the best it can be. Mm-hmm. So, Rocky, what is next for you? Well, I'm enjoying being a grandfather, uh, a grandparent. I mean, I really enjoying that. Uh, I love the keynote speaking and the leadership training. I, I got to tell you, uh, you know, sitting there last week, uh, I've been working with Seton Hall University here in New Jersey, uh, helping them build a continu- part of their continuing education program. I thoroughly enjoy that. Last week we met with, uh, I've been meeting with groups of you know, young professionals, young and tenure, you know, they could be in second careers or third careers, but in that particular, uh, last week was with an insurance company that were bringing on people, and you know, we talked about why values matters and, you know, those kinds of things. So for me, it's it's this whole training and education piece. The, the consulting piece is, is uh, I enjoy doing it from, because of the process side of my brain and the fact that, you know, at UPS, we're always about process improvement and those kinds of things. But I, I got to tell you, I absolutely love the keynote speaking and the leadership training. So I, I, for me, it's about balance. Can I balance that with, you know, being able to spend time with the, with, with the family and the grandkids and, and uh, that's key is can, can I, can I, can I find that right, right balance? Mm, that's great. Well, next time that I'm up there, um, in the New York, New Jersey area, you know, perhaps we can sit down and have lunch and talk about leadership, talk about how do we continue to help develop these leaders into legacy driven leaders, because I think that would be a really good collaboration. 
Oh, I'd be honored. I would love to do that. And if I can help you in any way or any of your guests that uh, could, would ever need help or, or have a question, you know, they can either contact through you or go to our website at www.the3and-the-word-60-management-services. I get a lot of correspondence back and forth. People hear the podcast or they'll read the book and say, hey, I've got a question about a situation. If I can help in any way. I mean, I, that's that's the part that, that that's what fuels me is the ability to, to make a difference for somebody. And it's a small thing sometimes. Hey, look at it this way. Or maybe if you try this, just simple, simple suggestions seem to go a long way. So I like that part. Thank you so much. Well, that was going to be my next question anyway, is what's the best way to, to contact you and reach you? Uh, so for the audience, the website is the number three, the word 60 spelled out together. Um, and so I just want to make sure that people are able to reach you and talk to you and ask these questions. Um, where else might they find information about you so, or contact you? Yeah, so we're on the website, 360 Management Services. We're on Twitter, uh, Facebook. And I'm on LinkedIn, too. So uh, I get a lot of dialogue on LinkedIn as well. Uh, so that that's actually been very good from a, from a back and forth communication, those kinds of things. So that's that's been very good as well. And, of course, if they reach you, you can always email me and uh, certainly can, we'll get right back. That's great. Well, for our audience members, uh, if you do contact us, we will certainly, with his permission now, Rocky, give you uh, his email information as well. Thank you so much for your time today. I had such a great conversation. We went um, deep and and dove into some vulnerable places, and I really appreciate that because I want uh, for our audience to know that we do care. We're here to support their development, their growth, and help them transform into the leaders um, and into the individuals that they really um, were created to be. Well, I appreciate that. I thoroughly enjoyed it. If I can ever be a service or help in the future, please count me in. And and although I never met your dad, uh, I know that he w- was a wonderful man just by talking to his daughter. Oh, thank you so much, Rocky. That is so appreciated. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the SOAR Community Network podcast. We appreciate you. We love you. And we'll bring you great um, additional content very soon. We'll talk to you. Very soon. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of SOAR Podcast. Join us by visiting soarcommunitynetwork.com.